Great question. The Manufacturing Podcast offers news and information for the people who make, store, and move things, and those who manage and maintain the facilities where that work gets done. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Great Question, a manufacturing podcast brought to you by Endeavor Business Media. I'm Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and today's great question is, what exactly is unturning steel, and what does it have to do with closing the skills gap in manufacturing in North America? I'm really excited. We have a return visit in the podcast from Bill Leahy, CMRP. He's the CEO at Renaissance Reliability. We're also joined by Paul Lavoie, the Chief Manufacturing Officer at the State of Connecticut. Uh, Bill and Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here. So, Bill, we'll start with you. Um, since the last time we talked, uh, tell us a little bit about how we got from there to here. There being last year, moving in mind, but nothing in place. And to here being, we're, we've got something to show this year at the Marcon conference coming up. I'll, I'll give the uh, abbreviated version of this because it could take a while. But um, And I'll start with the, the, the tragedy that spurred us on this journey. Uh, so, last... Or December 2022, uh, my brother, Major Sean Patrick Leahy, U.S. Marine Corps, committed suicide uh, during his transition out of service while working in manufacturing. And that event had a profound effect on me, uh, my family, uh, the factory Sean was working at, and all that. And we made a determination uh, that we needed to do something about it. So Unturning Steel was born from that. And we actually worked with the Metalcraft Mint, which is where Sean was working. Uh, to launch the the project. And the essence of it is we are taking service members before they start their transition out of the military. We bring them into manufacturing, train them, inculcate them, do everything to prepare them for a successful career in manufacturing um, from start to finish at no cost to them. Uh, and what we really want to do is set the conditions for success. So the, the three things we recognize that veterans need when they transition out is community, certainty, and purpose. And through our program, we're going to give them all three. That's a great recap and summary of a lot of what we talked about on the last podcast. And I'll put the previous episode links in the podcast notes for everyone. Uh, let me turn to Paul, though. And Paul, this is our first time meeting and talking. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with the state of Connecticut, and especially how you found Bill out there and, and began working on the project with him. Sure, Tom, absolutely. So I am Connecticut's chief manufacturing officer. I am appointed by the governor. So Governor Ned Lamont appointed me to this role in February of 2022. And I'm part of the executive branch of government here in Connecticut. Connecticut's the only state that has this role. And my job is to really identify some of the key challenges in the manufacturing sector, and then to be able to work using all of the state's assets to help deliver solutions to those challenges. And of course, we all know all across America, but certainly in Connecticut as well, workforce. The lack of an available and skilled workforce is the number one issue. 86% of the manufacturers in Connecticut cite that as the number one issue that's preventing them from growing. So my job is to figure out how we're going to solve that problem. And when I look at that, I look at underserved communities, people who, who aren't typically in manufacturing jobs, but would easily transition into those jobs. And specifically, I look at, I'm looking at four areas. I'm looking at women, I'm looking at second chance, re-entry people, 
neurodiverse people and military veterans. And so uh, I had uh, read an article about Bill and the work that he was doing, uh, certainly on, you know, as he was, uh, you know, motivated by that horrible tragedy with his brother and, you know, kind of struck a, a chord with me. And I hunted him down, reached out to him. And when he came back to Connecticut, we sat down and and clearly, you know, what, what Bill wants to do lines up perfectly with what I'm doing here at the state level. And I'm a huge collaborator. So I'm the one who will get, and you know, Bill will tell you, he's he's got a couple of contacts with some people that run manufacturing businesses. There's a banker who's a veteran that's interested in uh, getting folks into, the, into uh, manufacturing as well. So we're in the process right now of just really building this consortium that's going to really help manufacturers solve their challenge by making sure uh, making sure that they have the availability of veterans to transition right into the workforce. And again, you know, Bill's spot on with the three things that they need and, and we can provide, you know, the state of Connecticut work can work with folks like Bill to help provide what the, what our military veterans are looking for as they transition into the private sector. You know, I, I knew a friend in high school who served in Iraq uh, in Gulf War One and Gulf War Two, and he was a helicopter pilot and mechanic, and he transitioned into the workforce as now a trade mechanic in manufacturing. So I've seen this firsthand as, as someone who saw a lot of uh, things, not all of them pleasant, uh, while he was serving for the country, and then came back, and there was a pathway to a kind of employment that he he could leverage the skills he learned while serving and and move right into a private sector job it's it's and it's, it's great to see these programs now developing even more pathways for people who are uh returning from service to uh to move back into the private sector yeah no so and connecticut has this unique opportunity we're number two in the country in defense spending on a per capita basis and we're uh, number number one in aircraft engine manufacturing number two in shipbuilding so between electric boat Pratt and Whitney, who makes the F thirty for the F one thirty five engine for the F thirty five fighter, we all know Electric Boat is is making submarines, and Sikorsky, who makes the Black Hawk helicopter, the CH fifty three helicopter. We provide, you, you know, Bill and I have been talking about this. You want you want to talk about providing purpose and meaning? How about you going from serving in the military to going to work, making sure that people that were just like you now have the most sophisticated, safest, and best equipment available. You know, Senator Richard Blumenthal in Connecticut always says, we never want a fair fight, never mm -hmm. want a fair fight. So we're always working to make sure that we're giving our our veterans, we're giving our military uh, the best tools. And what better to have veterans working on giving the active military the best tools? And you talk about, you know, you talk about giving meaning, and giving purpose. It, it really aligns with uh, with the reason why I'm sure they went to serve in the first place. I can see how your passions both align really closely here, which must have been working on the movie interesting too. Can you share a couple of experiences or or, or instances about the kind of work you did together to help make Unturning Steel a reality? Well, we're we're slowly moving our way towards that. So the, so coming out of the summer, the the project that we ran, the program that was a pilot program, and it was an absolute mess. I will, I will fully admit to that, but we did it quickly because we knew that there's urgency to the mission. So 22 veterans a day, so it's one an hour, there's someone making a decision right now. And any time we waste is a lost opportunity to intervene in someone's life in a positive way. So yes, we did make a big mess, but we were successful and we learned so much from it that now as we go to roll it out with the state of Connecticut and, and roll it out nationwide, you know, we really have something solid to offer them. Um, and it all starts with this idea of matching. So 
when I transitioned out of the service, I went through one of the the hiring services that they they present to you. Um, there's there's multiple of them out there, but <clears throat> you end up doing about 12 interviews in a day at a double tree somewhere uh, outside of an airport. You get a bunch of offers and you go and choose one. And it's it's really you're crossing your fingers and hoping things work out for you. And that's a that's a challenging prospect because when you're talking about certainty and how important that is, that's there's no certainty in that. Like I said, I picked my family up. We moved to Oregon hoping that things would work out. So the magic. So the, so the way it all starts, and this is this is where I think really the the magic is, is mm-hmm. the first place we start is with the manufacturer. We go to them and find out what their exact needs are, mm-hmm. the requisites they have open, the positions, the competencies they need, uh, things they want to integrate into their operation. We get all that stuff first. Simultaneously, we're working with our pool of veterans uh, through the SkillBridge program. We bring them in and we dive into it with them. What is their five-year plan? Where do they want to be? What do they want to learn? What do they want to be doing? Where do they want to live? All of these things go into it and we take the needs of the manufacturer and needs of the veteran and merge them together as best we can. We want to match before they get there. And then they have the three to six months to get to know each other, make sure there's a cultural fit, and they have the option to uh, basically hire one another at the end of it. Okay. And Paul, I understand you're instrumental in helping to identify the manufacturing and possibly academic partners within the state to to further this process? Yeah, that's my job for Bill. So my job is to get uh, manufacturers engaged and, and get them to open their minds to uh, to taking a look at bringing our veterans on as, as part of their workforce. You know, it's a, always a challenge with um, you know, manufacturers. They don't really think out of the box when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to, to building their teams. And, you know, and quite frankly, you know, we can't solve today's problems and tomorrow's problems with yesterday's solutions. And that's what we're trying to do. So, um, so my job is to, uh, is to enlighten our manufacturers to the opportunity that they have to build out a, a workforce and what a better workforce. I mean, they're, you know, we're looking for people always say, I'm looking for mid-level people. Well, you're getting, you know, when you get a veteran, you're getting a mid-level person. You certainly mm. don't need to teach them that they should have to show up. You certainly don't need to teach them to be on time. You know, all of those things that they may struggle with somebody that's, that's first coming into the workforce. You don't need to teach them how to work is my point. You just need to teach them the skills that they need. And, and those are, and that's a huge advantage. And, and I would, you know, uh, rapidly these folks come come in and, and you know they go into maybe some entry level positions but rapidly they become you know leaders in manufacturing facilities because of the skills that they gained in the military so yeah my job is to my job is to build the uh, build the need and and to get manufacturers engaged uh, paul you've said two you've said two things that uh, and they just jumped to mind the first one that caught my attention was when you were talking about your position and yeah. it's government appointed. And I did not understand that this you were the only one in the country. We we're the yeah. only state with that. And I think yeah. it's brilliant. And this is why the traveling around the country, working in all these different states with these different manufacturers. The one thing I've noticed is and I, I if I was going to say there was one big issue with U.S. manufacturing, I say it's resourcefulness. We have all the resources in the world. We're this is the United States. This is made in America. There's no shortage of resources for us. It's about resourcefulness. And the position, Paul, that you have and how you're helping me is exactly that. You're marshalling the resources for us and presenting them in a way where they're accessible. And 
yeah, man, the rest of the country needs to follow suit. Like that's, it's incredible. It's exactly, it's exactly what we need. That's what we're setting the conditions for success in the state. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bill, the way I look at it is right. I mean, manufacturers are my customers, right? right. I was put in this role to serve my customers and I spend a, a, a large amount of my time listening to manufacturers and then linking them to the resources that they need to be successful. And, you know, and that, you know, yesterday I went to visit a company. I came, you know, I had like seven referrals I needed to give to them on different things that they were looking for. And they're just blown away. They're like, the state does all of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and when we have an office, we actually have an office of manufacturing. My office has uh, has eight people in it. Uh, and but we a lot of that is around we have a manufacturing innovation fund, which is money that we invest in the manufacturing sector. So I have program managers and on that fund. And then I have three federal grants that we've that we've received that come with durational positions. So uh, so it's a you know, we have this whole team that's looking to serve the manufacturing sector in three areas. It really is workforce development, supply chain resiliency and innovation, you know, driving innovation in in this sector as well, uh, because, you know, we we have to realize that we're never going to hire our way out of our workforce problem. There's never going to be enough people. And so, you know, while we'll exhaust in Connecticut, all of the resources we can to get as many people as we can. Uh, at the end of the day, we have to drive innovation to to get machines to do the work for people we're never going to have. So, but that's the right. That's the advantage. I think about this stuff all day, every day, and we're the only state that has somebody like this thinking about this all day, every day. You know, and and so uh, and so and you know, we're we're small enough that uh, I can cover the entire state, which is great. So yeah, yeah, I love my job. I have the best job in America. So. Yeah, and it's incredibly that what it, what it does for the state. And this is this is something I will always talk about. It's like there's resource availability I mentioned earlier. And you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars that just about every state is putting in. The federal government's throwing money at all of this, and, and that return on investment is only going to be realized if we have the appropriate implementers in place. And that's when you talk about middle-level people coming in, those are our implementers. They have the the skills, the knowledge, the ability, all of those things to actually take these resources and maximize them, put them to use. I cannot tell you the number of factories that I go to that has tech launched everywhere and they're collecting all kinds of data, but no one's doing anything with it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's fruitless. And I, I just, yeah, I, we need to create these implementers and and those are the folks. Yes, with innovation, we can reduce the you know the the need for you know a hundred operators lined up on something. But even with that, if we do not have the people to manage the innovations, the technology, and the operation, it's it's for naught. As you both said, there's a pipeline of workers who are ready to work, and they know how to work and know how to show up. And for uh, in a sector of industry which often tries to hire in at the journeyman level or close to it. Um, you've got people who have some of those skills coming out of the military. They, they, they it's a ready, ready-made, uh, leveled-up skill set that's that's become available now to industry. Yeah, and they and they know how to learn, and so teaching them new skills for them is, you know, that's all day every day in the military, right? And so um, they know how to learn. So you bring them into a manufacturing, you know, manufacturing setting, you have a senior-level person that's ready to learn, and as they bring on technologies, it, yeah. They have an opportunity just to be a, a natural fit for them to to slide into those roles. So, so before we shift over to talking about the panel coming up at the Marcon conference that showcases some of what Unturning Steel has been doing, 
Um, Bill, you mentioned there were some opportunities possibly in the work, some concrete opportunities and uh, possibly leveraging uh, federal programs like the CHIP Act. That uh, So can you tell us some, some things about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I, I met um, a, a couple great ladies from all the connection that Paul's put me in touch with. Uh, and these are two ladies out in New Haven, and, and they've identified an opportunity within the CHIPS Act. And they recognize the defense, the defense industry that's present in the state of Connecticut and the need for their services. So they are starting a microchip company from scratch, essentially, and setting it up. Um, these ladies are entrepreneurs. They're brilliant. Uh, but as far as manufacturing goes, they don't have that experience. So they've reached out to us, and it's kind of a really cool opportunity, and I, I hope it works out. Um, but they have a completely blank roster at this point in time. And this could be an opportunity for, for us to, to really put our program to the test and see if we could fill out an entire company floor with our veterans trained to our standard under the University of Tennessee. And I would love to see that happen. I'll probably film that too and put that out there. But that would be uh, incredible. They're doing some great work. It's a mi minority female-owned business. And uh, I, I, I think they've they've got the chops to make it happen. And I can't wait to see what happens with that. So that that's within the state of Connecticut. We're, we're also, uh, that, that might be a whole separate project. Um, really for the immediate and what we're setting up right now is I, I'm talking with veterans every single day. There's people reaching out just organically asking about the program and uh, when it's going to be happening and where. And the talent level, I wanted to mention this, the, the, the folks, the candidates that we are receiving are incredible. Like mm. if I had positions for all of them, I'd probably hire them all myself. But they're they're just fantastic people. They're eager to learn and ready to to get in and get started. Um, so the state of Connecticut is going to do very well with bringing veterans back home and keeping the ones that we have stationed here. And then with uh, on the the corporate scale, right? So on the state side, it's great. It gives us the opportunity to make our services accessible to organizations that would never even hear of this stuff before. That's wonderful. On the big scale nationwide. Uh, we're looking for some big time corporate partners that want to really develop a reliability culture across their organization. And the way we do that is by establishing a standard um, that's universally understood. And one of the companies that we're currently working with is Warehouser, and they have sawmills and different facilities all across the country with about 200 people in each one. Uh, and they've been training with us for some time, and they have certified reliability and maintainability implementation certification mm -hmm. holders. So they have RMIC holders that are there on staff and they're going to serve as our coaches going forward. So when, when the veterans come, they train with us and then we send them out to go discover their future. Um, they will be working with people that have done it before. They will help them with their project work. Um, that's the community piece that we're talking about. But within that, now we have an entire company talking the same manufacturing, same reliability language. They have the same tools, artifacts, all of that stuff to build a culture, and they're going to realize great benefits from it. So if you're competing out there, or if you want to take on the competition and get yourself a, uh, a differentiator, a competitive advantage, um, unturning steel is one avenue towards that. Well, let's close out our conversation by talking about what people who are coming to Marcon in about a month uh, can expect. Uh, this uh, the episode will go live probably about two weeks before the event, but a bunch of us are going to convene down in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, the week of March 4th 
to showcase some elements of this program, correct? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, so we've got two screenings at Marcon. Um, University of Tennessee, I just want to say that they've been absolutely fantastic. They've been on the cutting edge of the manufacturing education space for a long time. Um, and I think they are, they're in a position to really um, grow their presence, uh, their mission, and everything like that. So they're, they're fantastic. Um, there's a lot of exciting things going on with the conference, but the most exciting is on the 6th, two things are happening for us. One, I'm going to brag about us for a little bit, but we're getting the Best Cultural Innovation Award um, from the University of Tennessee, uh, and we are so excited and grateful for that. So that's the morning of the 6th, and then that evening is we are going to um, present the film for the first time. It's the inaugural screening of it as part of the conference. Uh, so I'll do an intro about 20 minutes, say thank you to everybody, do all that good stuff. We'll screen the 22-minute um, first episode of our docuseries, and then we'll go into that panel discussion afterwards. And we've got some great folks on that. Um, just some ideas of who it is. Uh, Lisa Brown-Lee, she's a leadership expert working in the manufacturing space. She's going to be there. Blake, one of our students from this summer. So we have an Armic graduate, Unturning Steel graduate, Navy veteran, um, and a bunch of others that are just that are really going to enlighten us. And you, sir, are our moderator. I am. I will be there. I can't wait to see the film and get to meet every, all these people who are involved. And uh, just talking with you and Paul today has me all fired up about this once again. So thank you for Paul, the opportunity to work together. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get Paul down to Knoxville, too. We get down there, we'll put up an extra chair on the panel for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I want to thank you both for being here for the conversation today, uh, Bill and Paul, for being part of this program. And uh, I'm going to put all the links to relevant information, uh, both to uh, your office, Paul, in the show, in the podcast notes, and information about Unturning Steel and the panel coming up. So, thank you for being in this episode. I hope to, hope to talk to you both again real soon. Well, Tom, thank uh, you for giving us the opportunity to uh, to amplify Bill's work, but to also, you know, provide great manufacturing jobs for our military veterans. Our manufacturing jobs change lives. And so we're, you know, we're excited about the project that we're working on. That's awesome. Well said. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, manufacturing saved my life. I was getting out of the service, 100% dead, and I want to recreate that magic for some other deserving veterans. So, yeah, thank you for the, the opportunity to talk, Paul. Thank you for joining. Um, yeah, thank you. I'll see you in Knoxville. Yeah, sure. Yeah.